now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Good news is your dates are here. What's the bad news? They're dead. See, a United States Astro Robot becomes a creature of death. And these. We have come here to this planet for one purpose only, to acquire breeding stuff to repopulate our planet. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast from Class to Cults and the Cheese in Between. The movies are beeped, the entertainment is grade A. And I'm your host, Mr. Jason Giaconetti, and I'm joined again by my dad, Mr. Al Giaconetti. Good morning, Jay. Today we go back to the 50s for what a lot of people consider to be a classic. I was a teenage werewolf. And we'll get to it right after this. I know they're going to catch me, but don't let anyone see me like that. Please, doctor, help me. Michael Landon in a powerful performance as the boy possessed. Yvonne Lyon, appealing as the girl who loves him. Whit Bissell, unforgettable as the scientist maddened by the mystery of the werewolf. And Tony Marshall, a tough, friendly enemy. (laughs) These are official pictures? Yes, Chief. Flash on either side of the throat. You got any theories? Fangs. He was killed by by a werewolf. Panic penetrates every home (laughs) when this strange unknown killer hits town, taking hold of the teenage crowd, (laughs) coloring their practical jokes with hysterical humor that'll make you fall flat on your face with horror. Remember how wonderful it was when you sprang and suddenly dug in with your fangs, a soft throat, a gush of warm blood? No! No! Nothing you've ever seen has such blood-chilling savagery. Nothing you've ever conceived packs such a spine-tingling jolt. This high school boy, a teenage werewolf. A constant threat of claw-ripping attack to everyone, to the brave and the beautiful. Teenage Werewolf was released June 19, 1957 with a 76-minute running time. Your budget is, well, there's 
two different budgets you can find online. We look at about $82,000 to $120,000, $123,000, which is about right. 1957, you know, a movie that was shot in seven days. That's about the right budget. Um, the box office is estimated at $2 million. Yeah, so hit. it was a big hit. Yeah. Um, in fact, I mean, this movie led to, um, it's responsible for the all the teenage movies that came later. Um, horror movies, I should say, not just teenage movies in general. Um, but yeah, it was filmed... Over the course of seven days, um, and when they were when they were doing that, they um, excuse me, Sam, uh, Samuel Z. Arkoff um, wrote that uh, when he was doing this, um, he had never he had never had a movie. He thought of a movie with the word teenager in the title. He thought this will be a big hit with the kids, mm-hmm. especially his drive-ins and stuff like that. And the one thing you can know about Arkoff, if you look at his films, um, his movies were not made to be big budget. Uh, you know, like we, you know, years in the production, he got in and got out. He was very much before there was Roger Corman doing the exact same thing a little later. He was, Arkoff was doing the same kind of idea. Yeah. Um, and he was very big on the idea of having, um, you know, the, 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 the teenager, he thought that he could use that to ex- kind of exploit the, that idea and to pull kids in. And there's some other stuff he has in here too, uh, which you go through people are like, Oh, Okay, that was put in, and people might even realize that the certain people who are in there, and I'm not talking about Michael Landon, who had yet wasn't a star. This was his first major role. Yeah. He got Bonanza two years after this, and then he stayed on Bonanza the whole run of Bonanza, and then right. you know became you know a star, and then eventually Highwood Heaven and everything else that Michael Landon was in, and a Little House in the Prairie and all the things like that. Um, so your uh, director was uh, Gene Fowler Jr. Now Gene Fowler. Um, was known uh he 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 worked with um as is the he's the director of Oz's Teenage Werewolf obviously I married a monster from outer space which we've talked about before um and then on to uh the rebel set in 59 and then he went on he didn't do that's pretty much he went into editing um because he had been an editor early on um the hangman also dies the woman in the window these are movies in the 40s and then he would later go on to be an editor on It's a Mad, Mad, Mad World in 63, yeah. um, Hang Em High in 68, um, Caveman in 81. So it wasn't like he had a super long career doing that, but he was, you know, getting a couple movies in the 50s and stuff. Your uh, your writing credits go to uh, Herman Cohen and uh, um, Abe and Kendall. Your producer is also Herman Cohen. Um, like I said, your star here is Michael Landon um, and Whit Bissell. Those are the two big name stars in this yeah. movie. Um, uh, Yvonne Lime uh, plays uh, the girlfriend in it, but uh, you know her her credentials are her uh, I shouldn't say her filmography, not credentials. Her filmography is much shorter than Michael Landon and Whit Bissell. Whit Bissell we would see often in yeah. a lot of different. But the thing is, he he popped up in Universal movies too. It wasn't yeah. like he was just here. You know, oh no, Whit Bissell had a had a great career um, making make like, some movies. He's the He's like the fifth lead or whatever. I think he in this movie. He's I think he steals the movie from Landon because he's a professional actor. Well, he well if you think he stole this movie, Teenage Frankenstein. Oh, no. He literally without him, the movie goes nowhere. Well, he does all the acting well, in the movie he, for everybody. He's, well, he's the lead in, in that yes, movie. Yes, yeah, yeah. But again, that's that's a different movie from this. When when you when Whit Bissell comes on in a movie, and again, it, it's you, you'll recognize his face. You may not know his name, but you recognize him as a face. In many many movies, and sometimes he's a he's 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 a a good guy. Sometimes he's a bad guy. Sometimes you know he's just there uh, to uh, you know to move the story along. But uh, 
let's 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 keep going on because yeah. he's he's number two in this movie. Yeah, I mean, so uh, obviously for those of you who uh, who are thinking just uh, just for the whip pistol part of it, um, he was he's Doctor Hill. He's uncredited technically in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which we covered here. Yeah. Um, you know, movies. Uh, you know, he would again. We said he was on uh, Teenage Frankenstein. He eventually showed up on some episodes of Perry Mason. Um, he was in the Magnificent Seven. Yeah. You know, kind of things like so. The, that's a very bunch of different movies to talk about, right? Kind of thing, the Manchurian Candidate, stuff like that. Now, Michael Landon, of course, uh, Michael Landon, as we said, went on to, this is his first major role. Um, he would go on to be on Bonanza for the entire run of Bonanza. 20 years. Right? And then he went on to Little House in the Prairie, and it was an entire run of Little House in the Prairie. And then he went on to Highway to Heaven, right? So, like, to me, as a kid growing up, like, I obviously I saw this movie, but I knew he was really young. But I'm like, the guy from, and I didn't, I never watched Bonanza, right? I'm like, the guy from Little House on the Prairie, the dad from Little House on the yeah. Prairie, and the guy from Highway to Heaven. But think about that. He acted, and he was on those shows from, what, like, 1960? Whenever, when did Bonanza start? Oh, like, 59? 59, right? Think, yeah. And he worked straight through until pretty much until he passed away right, you right. know um and you know again michael landon was not known um as much for uh you know he was known for his singing he was known for stuff but he wasn't as much known for um you know movies i mean he was in some movies but he was much more known for being a tv actor right um you know yeah i mean he was never up for an academy award but his career spans more yeah. more years than than some of the other great actors and actresses. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, if someone said you're gonna have a, a you know a career on television and it starts in 1959 and goes until you're passing into the right. 90s, like that, yeah, you take that. I mean, and and it wasn't like Michael Landon was someone you didn't know who that was. Like he was so well recognized from the exposure from television, he actually probably was more recognized than some of the the. You know, actors of the you know, the seventies yeah. or oh, you know yeah. late the seventies and stuff who were in a few movies here and there and whatever, okay. But you knew who Michael Landon was, especially since you watched him grow up on Bonanza. Yeah, he went from what being like almost twenty little years Joe. old, yeah. little Joe, little Joe, and he got much much you know older on there. So, and then of course, um, you know, as we said, uh, um, you know, to go on to Little House in the Prairie. I mean, Ke I mean, I never watched any Little House in the Prairie. Kelly loved that show. She still watches well, it now. Yeah, it's on. It's on the Hallmark Channel. Well, but every it's on day. every day. So every there's day. there's still royalties being paid out. And Haley, Kelly, well, Haley will watch it once in a while with Kelly too. But Kelly loved that show. And then her parents watched Highway to Heaven. So like Kelly watched some Highway to Heaven. So Michael Landon is on all these things, and you don't think about it, but he's like, it's not and, and show okay. So it's not like a TV show now where like, well, the whole season gets released at one time and it's six episodes. They were 26, 30 episodes, depending on depending on what show it was. Yeah. They were minimum 26, yeah, right? Some were 39, right? And and then, then, then they would go away for the summer and they would show the reruns. So when they're showing reruns of Little House on the Prairie or showing reruns of I Would Have It, like this on all the time. So um, now... Uh, Yvonne Lime, whose actual name is y uh, Yvonne uh, Friedrichsen, um, she's uh, she's a retired actress. She was actually married to Don to, to producer Don Friedrichsen, um, Friedrichsen, um, and she appeared in you know from '56 to '68. And then what happens? Then she left um, acting and became a philanthropist, right? And so she went on to like you know do a lot of things. So, but that's not when you look at the movie. That's I think what lends some credibility to this movie is 
you don't recognize. I mean, Michael Landing, you know, because of later. But right. at the time, he wasn't. It wasn't like it was James Dean. It wasn't like right. it was whatever, right? And it wasn't like it was, uh, you know, um, someone else, someone in in the role. Like there was nobody in a role. It wasn't like it was a young Marilyn Monroe. It wasn't like it was whatever. Right. There's they're nobodies, and I don't mean to mean be rude, but they they weren't. They don't have long acting. No, things. and I think that one of the reasons why Michael Landon got got the role is that. Right at about this time, you had Rebel Without a Cause with with James Dean, mm-hmm. and I mean to me, he not, not that not that he copied him, but it's almost a parody of of the James Dean movie, the way he's acting in this movie. You know, he's got an attitude; he needs an attitude adjustment. Um, he's he, he's he's very flippant with uh, with how he talks to people, and uh, so again, you wonder uh, if. We couldn't get James Dean, so let's get the, a new actor. And when he did the audition process, he became the guy they chose. Now, of course, this is, uh, um, since we're talking about, uh, you know, uh, Samuel Arkoff, we're talking about AIP, American International Pictures. Um, American International Pictures was clearly the B studio. It's it's not Universal. It was not, you know, it's not MGM. It's not, you know, it's not one of the, it's not at this time RKO, technically, we're still around, right? Kind of thing. They were, hadn't already been. Because RKO Universal and all the mergers hadn't happened or whatever, but when you had the Universal movies, uh, you know, being made that Whit Bissell was in, like you know the the earlier movies and stuff like uh, uh, Creature Black Lagoon and things like that. Like, I mean, he's a, he's but he's way down that list. He's not like his name's at the top, you know, uh, kind of thing. But he's in those movies, and now he's in these movies, so it lends a lot of credibility when he comes on screen yep. um, to what's going on. Um, all right, so let's get into our story. All right, so Tony Rivers, and that's Michael Landon, is a troubled teenager at Rockdale High and is known for losing his temper and overreacting. Um, a campus fight between Tony and his classmate Jimmy, uh, who's played by Tony Marshall, um, gets the attention of the local police. Detective Donovan, uh, and that's uh, uh, Barney Phillips, uh, in particular. Uh, Donovan breaks up the fight and advises Tony to go talk to a, psycholo- a, a, psychiatrist, try again, a psychologist that works at the local uh, aircraft, aircraft plant, Dr. Uh, Alfred Brandon, which is Whit Bissell. And he's a, a practitioner of uh, hypnotherapy. Okay, so we have the fight at the beginning. And you're watching this fight, and it's nothing major. And they're just throwing back and forth. And then the next case, real quick, he grabs a shovel no. and starts swinging at him. You're like, whoa, buddy. You know, kind of thing. Like, you know, someone turned up the heat a little bit on that fight. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. He needs an, he needs an attitude adjustment. Because yeah. he, he gets... He gets ticked at, at the slightest things. Yeah. He, he misinterprets what people say, and it just sets him off. So that's the thing is, when we're watching so I watched this with Kelly, and she's never seen this, right? Because we were watching this on YouTube, because one of the few places you can see this is on YouTube, right? And we're watching this, and she's like, oh, Michael Landon. Like, you know, like, and she's like, oh, my God, look how young he is. Like, to her, it's like it's cool because she, you know, whatever, right? And as soon as he picks the show, she goes, wow, that went, with, that went from like zero to 60 real fast. Because like, she's, I know it's coming, but it's like, it's just a scrap. Like, it, like they're swinging at each other, but no one's getting really hurt. And all of a sudden he's swinging a shovel trying to kill the guy, you know, and you're, and you're like, oh, okay, this stepped up a lot. Like this went from like, you know, just, a, you know, a fist fight to a knife fight, you know, real fast. Um, Tony declines to go see the, uh, you know, to go see uh, Dr. Brandon. Um, but yet his girlfriend, are. Um, uh, Irene, who that's Yvonne Lime, um, as well as his widowed father, which is played by Malcolm Arterbury, uh, shows concern about his violent behavior. Uh, later, at a Halloween party at the haunted house, the quote-unquote haunted house, right? Oh, yeah. So, let me ask this question, Dad. Um, 
Now, I know you grew up in the Bronx, and maybe there weren't a whole lot of just houses sitting around, but, like, did, did that seem weird to you? They just says, they're at the old abandoned house. Oh, they fixed it up. Like, the cops know about it, and they're okay with this? Yeah. Well, again, I, I thought it was more like a clubhouse. But like, it's a house. Yeah. Like, okay, so if I go to a house that no one lives in, that's called trespassing. I'm just saying, but the cops know they're there. I mean, again, I think the difference is, it's, it's okay, so it's 1957, so this is shot like in, like you know, a few days or whatever. There's not a lot of sets here. That thing's real. They they would, yeah. they built nothing. Everything is real, right? So this is just a, a house they have the right to use. But it's just kind of funny. It's like the cops know they went there and fixed it up. Like it's an abandoned house that they fixed. It. Like well, you, you know, the, I don't know. Well, no, what, what, what again? What what the, what you could have here is, you know, they that there is no community center or whatever, and so that the teenagers would go there and have a lot of fun and not get into trouble. Um, no, I understand that, but yeah. it's just, doesn't that seem weird? Like, okay, I mean, maybe I'm looking at it through the eyes of a child of the 80s, where it's like, it's an abandoned house. We all know what's going to happen at the abandoned house, right? In the 50s, it's like, oh, they're just there doing this thing. Like, th like there's going to be something bad occurring because they're at this house. Nothing happens at the house right. that's, you know, whatever, but... I don't know. It just, I've oh. always thought that. But maybe because, I mean, but, I was also raised on a different kind of, like, you didn't go, if there was an, a house that no one lived in, you didn't break, it's breaking and entering. That's what that is. They're going to think. Yeah. Well, but if the cops knew about it, they might, again. Yeah, uh, whatever. I, anyway. I just think it was it was their community center. But that Halloween party was, uh, the, the, you know, every, it's a Halloween party. And yet, no one's dressed up except, except the one girl, girl. One girl in a, in a clown costume. Yeah, <laughs> and she's just walking around like, okay. well, she, well, she's mad. She goes, "I thought everyone was dressing up," and I'm like, "Oh, okay." And you know what that said to me was, um, they might have had an idea of having everyone dress up, but they said, "Well, look, we don't have any costumes. Right? We got seven days. Unless you got a costume at home, and she's the only one who brought. I have a clown costume. Great, you bring it, okay, Janice? Let's get you on the. <laughs> she, I mean. It's with the, it was she was just so out of out of character. Yeah, right, because it looks weird, right? Yeah. yeah. But what where it gets weirder is that they actually introduce a song yeah. in this movie, and it's it's even credited on the on the on the scroll at the yeah. beginning. Yeah. It was the one of the most ridiculous word song I've yeah. ever heard. I mean, fine. So I you you promised us a song, you gave us a song. Right. Let's get on with the movie. Right. Yeah. Well, you know what it was? It's a the movie's seventy six minutes. The song takes at least two and a half minutes. Exactly. Yeah. So we had you had to get over seventy five minutes. So this is how you pad out the movie, Dad. This and re-showing the same scene three times, but that's later. That's later. Because <laughs> Kelly goes, I thought I saw that scene already. When Kelly notices, that's bad. Um, so an old house which several of the teenagers hang out. Tony attacks his friend Vic, who's Ken uh, Kenny Miller, after being surprised from behind. Uh, he blows the horn and he winds up attacking him. After Tony pulls, like, does the same thing. Like, they do the same thing to the girls. They do the, He's right. doing the same thing. And then someone does it to him. Yeah, it's one and practical joke after another. And then all of a sudden, he, he loses he, it. He loses it. And then slugs him. Um, after seeing the shock expression in his friend's faces, he realizes he needs help and goes to see Dr. Well, he also storms out of there. And that's, you know, let's go. We're leaving. Like, it's, I mean, yeah, nowadays, it would have been like, you know, the school psychologist would have been very worried. We would have made all the phone calls. But now they're just like, well, we told you. We, we, the cops told me to go see the psychologist. I guess I'll go see him. On Tony's first visit, however, uh, Dr. Brandon makes it clear that he has his own agenda while the teenager lies on the psychiatric's couch. Tony will be the excellent subject for his experiment with uh, 
scopolamine serum, which is real. Yes, I gotta, I'll, I'll talk to that in a um, second. Good. He has developed that regresses personalities to their prime, their primitive instincts. Okay, go. You got some? Yeah. Scopolamine, for those of you who were, uh, remember the guns in Navarone, scopolamine and in, and in a whole bunch of other war movies is used by the enemy because it's a truth serum drug, not an hallucinogenic. It makes you, it makes you susceptible in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a state where you can't lie. And uh, for those of if, again, in, in the guns in Averone, scopalamine is, is, the, is the word, well, we got to use scopalamine on the, uh, uh, I guess it was the one of, one of the, the guys who were going, going to go blow up the guns. Okay, so I just clicked on the link, and I'm telling you what it says here, right? It's used in treating motion sickness, uh, um, nausea, and vomiting, right? Um, and and it's also used to do, during surgery to decrease saliva secretion, right? Yeah. Which now, he salivates a lot right. in this movie. Now, again, wait, 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 wait. Oh, okay. Common side effect: sleepiness, blurred vision, dilated pupils, dry mouth. Not turn into a werewolf, but <laughs> um, it's and it's not recommended for people with glaucoma or bowel obstructions, which um, makes me wonder where at some point. You know what? What Whip Pistol did to alter it to make him semi because he's drooling a lot, a lot. Yeah. At the end, he's just drool, 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 drool. And you know, so. what, what that says to me is, why did they use uh, the, a name the, drug? You figured out. Name, I mean, if you look, if you looked that up, but again, Scopella, if you watch uh, war movies where they they're trying to get the truth out of the guy, Scopalamine comes up all the time. Right. And yet, what you just described, I didn't realize. Yeah. <laughs> I never looked it up. Yeah, but that's what it actually does. But it's used. It's a real drug. Mom says to me, so how did you know that the, that that they're going to use scopalamine? I said, well, that's what I always do. <laughs> when they, when <laughs> they put an injection on the guy's arm, he's going to tell you, you know, that he, that he, he stole the guns or whatever. Right, 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 right. yeah. It's it's the go-to. You know why? Because it sounds super official, even though it really is not used for anything. I wonder, I wonder where that came from way yeah. back when. Well, you mean, no, it means if somebody was on it. And they said, "Hey, let's just use this name." You know, that's like that's like what do you call? That's like when they said, "That's not gonna be the name of the movie, right?" That's just a placeholder. Yeah, no, no, we'll, we'll fix it in post. Well, but you know, when you get right down, what you just described, because what Bissell says to uh, Michael Landon, uh, it's only a sedative, which is exactly what it, it is. is a sedative. Oh, okay, so, but the so thing they, is, so but it Western. says dry mouth, right? It says it stops <laughs> saliva, and literally, you can he's he's drooling everywhere. You're like, good lord, buddy. Well, they, 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 was that the second uh, meaning of? The of the drug, but oh, well, so, no, they use it. It's still used when when they're working on a patient's mouth yeah. to keep saliva, um, to keep from them from salivating too much when they're in there working. It dries your mouth out so they can work without doing. Now I don't. I've he, never. He's at a dentist. No, I don't think so. Well, no. I mean, if you had had a, uh, oral surgery, like they're in there working, yeah. you'd have like an oral surgeon working on you. No, I don't think you're having your local dentist in there. Like, let's see what's going on. It's like a palamine, and you start telling them all your I'm secrets glad, you and your passwords. Next time I go to, to the dentist, you're going to ask him. Sorry. So Brandon believes that the only future that uh, that mankind has is to hurl him back to his primitive state. Um, although Brandon's assistant, Doctor Hugo Wagner, who was played by Joseph Mel, uh, protests that the experiment might kill Tony. Brandon continues without and and within two sessions suggests to Tony that he was once a wild animal. Okay, so right, he's shoots him up, and he's like, "I'll just just roll up your sleeve." But like, I mean, he puts a shot in him. There's no worry about like finding a vein. It's just putting a shot in, right? Okay, fine. So the problem is, where'd you put the shot? Not in the top of your arm where you would put a shot. He puts it like in the crux of his elbow. Yeah. 
right? That's when you're trying, you don't put shots in there. I mean, you do if you're trying to find a vein and you put your whatever in. It just seemed like probably that shot should have been in his upper arm. Yeah, like, like, a, a, like an actual injection. Yeah. Like you, when you get a flu shot flu or like, shot, or yeah. you know, anyway. Well, now, what, what, at this point now, that, I mean, after he's given him the shot, the second, yeah. it, it doesn't take effect right away. Right, he's, no. He, he comes well, back. Well, it's, it's the second time back. After the second time when he starts, he takes him back in time right. to him remembering attacking someone and tearing someone's throat open. Um, that night, after a small party at the, at the, at the hangout haunted house, uh, Tony drives Arlene home, and one of his buddies, Frank, who's played by uh, Michael Rugas, um, is attacked and killed as he's walking home through the woods. Okay, so he doesn't want to be the third wheel in, like, in right, the car. And, yeah. He doesn't want to be that guy, because no one wants to be that guy. But the problem is, and this is one of the things when you shoot in seven days, um, I don't know about you, full moon or not, that was really bright for nighttime. Like, oh, no, yeah. It was shot in the day. Yeah. And, you know, they, they shot day for night. And they, they probably just toned down the... Uh, yeah, no, it's just shot just called day for night, right. Yeah. But I'm saying is like, but it's really bright in the woods. Now, which allows you to film without having to light the woods, woods. right? Um, but he's going to walk through the woods, um, and then he is attacked. Um, now, we don't see, again, at this point, we don't see what's attacked. We just see him screaming, him stumbling backwards. Classic 1940s and 50s. You know, monster movie. You hide the monster. At Something first. is happening. Yeah, right. We hide the yeah. monster at first. Now, the, you know, the thing is, as, as he, this is where uh, like I had, I had a not an issue, but the, I want you wonder why he keeps going back and getting shot after shot. But why do all of Tony's friends like him? He's nasty to everybody. Well, okay, so but they I mean, bring them. They bring that up. It when his mother was alive, he wasn't like this. And that's what the dad says. Uh, when his mother died, he can't, he got angry. So they're all so they've known him since he's been a kid, yeah. and they're like, when his mom is alive. So they see that the thing is like you you see this now. Like there are people like who that guy's a jerk. Why is anyone talking like oh well you don't understand he lost his wife or he like I'm whatever okay now you understand why he's a jerk so you right keep excusing him but they keep giving him excuses but and uh, and and, he, and the thing is when he's not acting like a jerk. He's a fun guy to be around, you know, kind of thing, yeah. whatever. I mean, I can. I mean, I mean, in back- my child, my childhood, we had we had some guy that was always, he was a nasty guy, but he he could play baseball, and so we kept him around. We kept right, him around. right. That's what and happens. then after a few times, everybody when we in the end, you'd choose up sides, he wouldn't get picked, and then he would get nasty again, and then he went went off, and then we we lost him. He was gone. Yeah. But I'm just saying, I think that's what it is. And it doesn't talk... I mean, his mother clearly died not when he was a small child. So it must have been... Re- he's still angry about it. Because that's what the whole... That's what they keep talking about. Like, well, you know, when his mother was alive... And, like, the dad says it at least twice. The the principal says it. You know, it's it's mentioned in the movie a couple times. Yeah. That that's probably what it is. Because they probably understand, like, he's he's grieving. Yeah. I mean, he's a jerk. But, you know, obviously this... But this yeah. stuff is not... But this, this is... His temper was much better when his mother was alive. She would keep; he would be much more calm about things. Yeah. You know, so. I think it's just like he said that first kill. You don't see that. Yeah, no, you don't see don't. it done. But the next day, when they go to the police, yeah, I'm talking about now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so while Donovan and Police Chief Baker, which is right, played right. by Robert Griffin, not the quarterback, right. um, review the photograph <laughs> to be something. It's like 30 years for Robert Griffin was even born. Um, review the uh, photographs of where am I of the victim and await the autopsy. Pepe, who is Vladimir uh, Skoloff, 
Uh, the police station janitor persuades Officer Chris, uh, Officer Stanley, who's Guy Williams, right. to let him see the photos. Right now, I mean, we're breaking a few laws here, but okay, why not? Um, Pepe, a native of the Carpathian Mountains, mm -hmm. he makes sure he puts that out there, where werewolves, human beings possessed by wolves, are that's what he actually says, are common, and immediately recognizes the mark on Frank's body, much to the disbelief of. Officer Stanley, who balked at the idea of a werewolf. Okay, so Pepe is here to move the story along. Right. That's what he's here for. And you know, he, we've seen him. He's another yeah. one that yeah. has there's a line here and there in other movies. Mm -hmm. But his 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 saying of the word werewolf yeah. is is really good because okay, you know, now now it's you you understand uh, his uh, trepidations. Yeah. So uh, for the he he started acting in the twenties. Um, yeah. By this point, I mean, obviously, it's much later on. Um, you know, so he was in um, Monster from Green Hell. Um, we would see him in The Magnificent Seven. He's the old man, right. The Magnificent Seven. Yeah. Um, Mr. Sardonicus, uh, you know, which is another classic. Um, but he was even in movies, like he was in Road to Morocco back in the 40s. Yeah, they all things had like bit, that. Bit yeah, parts. bit parts. He's, he's but a, actually, in, in the. Uh, well, he's in, in he's magnificent seven. seven. He's, he's the one who gets him, isn't he? Right, right. Yeah. He's, well, the, he's the old guy. Yeah. And, and but and again, he has a his his voice and the way he brings the the line out. Yeah. Is very calming, um, at least in, in Magnificent Seven. But you his you remember his face because he's on screen for quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm saying, but at that point, yeah, Magnificent Seven's another what? That's, uh, that's, no, 663? No, 1960. 60? Yep, 1963. But I'm saying, but still a number, it's still a few years after this, and he was acting in the 20s. Yeah. So it's not like he's no, a no, young yeah, guy. Young so he's, guy. So no, no, he, he's yeah. the old sage. Yeah, yeah, right. By the way, you mentioned Guy Williams. For those of you who don't know who Guy Williams is, he played Zorro yes. on TV. Yes. Later, much later on. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't. Well, yeah. he, it's he, a few years, it's a few years later, because yeah, it's this is only 57, it's mid-60s, yeah. Um, and then he also was the father on uh, the the science fiction show, The Lost Lost in Space. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Which is even, which because now it's the end of the 60s right. kind of thing, yeah. So, um, the next day, after another session with Dr. Brandon, during which Tony tells the doctor that he feels that he there's something very wrong with him, Tony reports to Miss Ferguson, uh, Louise Lewis, who is the principal at Rockdale High. Uh, Miss Ferguson tells Tony that she is pleased with him, Brandon has been giving him positive reports regarding his behavior, and she intends to recommend Tony um, for entry into the into the state college. Well, let's stop right there. Now, um, some of you might be saying, "Hey, aren't you breaking some HIPAA laws right there?" <laughs> yeah, uh, but well, it's the fifties, and people no. they was they weren't worried about the HIPAA laws and stuff. Nowadays, if a psychologist who wasn't assigned by the school and had signed permission to speak to the principal spoke to the principal about this. The principal goes to jail. The psychologist goes to jail. You sue both of them and you have a giant house, right? But that's what, like, because oh, yeah. that's what Kelly said. She goes, um, HIPAA? Like, when I, that's what I'm telling you, Dad. When I can get Kelly not to look at her phone and actually watch, when she watched this whole movie, right? But she's like, HIPAA regulation? Like, she immediately, I'm like, hey, Kelly, it's 57. She goes, oh, okay. Like, she's like, but she immediately thought it. She goes, he can't talk to her. Like, that's, you can't have a doctor disclosing uh, pers your mm. personal information. I mean, put it this way. Someone at school who knew that, let's say, I was sick, really, unless I told them, and it's kind of known, 
But like, let's say I was sick and no one knew I was sick, and someone at school told me I could sue that person, yeah. like breaking HIPAA regulations. And God forbid that person is a superior to you, who you have to divulge this information to, under the idea that it's protected. Right. A doctor, your principal, like those are people of who have power over you. They're not even like someone who's on the same level. They're they're your superior in some way, or they have somehow whatever. And I was like. I was like, it's 57, babe. I was like, it's okay. That's totally fine. You notice the cops didn't even pull their guns out. The guy's trying to murder somebody. They're like, all right, break it up, break it up. As he also noticed the cops are all Irish, right? Kind of thing. Right. Like, the, you know, they, they try to put over as many stereotypes as they can in these movies. By the way, uh, for those of you who uh, don't remember this movie and are going to watch it, uh, check out the police, the police chief's tie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean it, it, you talk about. He could have worn that to the Halloween party. Yeah, exactly. But that again, that's an aside. But yeah. uh, I, I know when when that when I, you you're staring at it because he's on screen quite a while. Yeah, and so, but he never changes. <laughs> and I started laughing, and I'm saying, God Almighty, I'm glad I never wore that kind of tie. Yes. <laughs> uh, so um, okay. So as Tony leaves the principal's uh, office, happy with the good news, he passes the gymnasium where Teresa. Oh. Dawn Richards is practicing by herself. Okay, so let me just talk about Dawn Richards for a second. Yeah. So some of you might be thinking, like, Dawn Richards? Like, I don't know who that is. Well, um, that's because if you were a kid, you might not be reading Playboy because that's where she's, she's from. Dumb, she's a playmate. And she was 22 at the time. She had actually just been in Playboy a few months before this came out. So um, I am sure there are some people in the audience who knew who that was. And I didn't know that she had been in play. I knew that she was a playmate, but I didn't know it was like 57. Yeah. It was a few months before. Now, I'm not saying that people making B-movies would go get attractive women who may or may not have been in you know magazines where they may or may not have been fully clothed and put them in movies to help... Uh, sell tickets, yeah. Yeah. but yeah, but she's doing her routine and then whatever. And this is actually one of the best scenes it, in the, oh, in the yeah. This the movie's known for a couple things. Um, I mean, Michael Landon's first role is a big one. This this scene entirely, um, and really, what people remember about this movie is the way the fur, the way the hair looks, like when it, when it, on his thing, and the jacket, like because it was. I mean, Michael Jackson literally made Thriller, like, and and he did the Cat Monster, right? To pay homage to I Was a Teenage Werewolf. And if you have ever seen Thriller, for those of you who have never seen Thriller, what's wrong with you? But like, the, watch the full version of Thriller with the cat monster. When he starts turning into that, you know, he turns into a cat, but you're like, that's a lot of hair and sculpt and the jacket, like this looks like I Was a Teenage Werewolf. And that's where this is in this scene here. Yeah. So, um, so Teresa is practicing by herself. The school bell behind his head suddenly rings, triggering his transformation to a werewolf and he attacks and kills Teresa. Now, when he... He turns into the werewolf. You're like, okay. And he starts changing the weapon. They show a part. They don't do a full Lon Chaney no. dissolve. They do a little. And he's like, oh. And then he becomes the werewolf. Right? But Teresa is now inverted. She's upside down. So we are looking through her eyes. The screen's upside down. She sees him walking. She goes, who is that? Tony? Uh, is that Tony? Is that you? Because she recognizes the, the jacket. jacket. Right? And he's walking towards her. Looking like the werewolf, drooling a lot. Um, maybe it's all the extra drool saved up from when he gets the injections. Right. Maybe that's what it is. He's saving the drool for later. Just put it in your pocket. Um, so he's walking towards her, and she's inverted. And she's like, is it you? And she's trying to talk to him, but she can't tell he's a werewolf yet until he's like right on top of her. And it's like, what an effective scene. It yeah. literally is just turning the camera over and then having him just walk. Yeah. 
And it's so effective. And it's being used again later on in other things. But it's like, I don't remember it before this. No, the, this scene makes the movie. Yeah. It really does because it's it's chilling. I, I'm trying to remember, there, there was another movie that uh, later on that uh, used, you know, where the... the, the uh, Everything's inverted? Yeah, well, it's not so much inverted, where the, 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 the victim is... It, it's it doesn't know what's about to happen and but you know right right but, yeah but this is you know when th- that was their day they, that was a good day for them uh to, when they do this but again the only thing with his makeup is that his teeth he couldn't i don't know how the heck no. he could chew because his teeth his teeth go in 72 different directions okay so the whole thing with his teeth and this is something as i cuz i've already built the uh the one to one scale um with yeah. the hand and everything right his teeth are probably the biggest complaint people have about this film. He doesn't have classic werewolf like your your canines get longer. He's got these funky weird teeth. Yeah. Like I don't understand how they work, but I think what they were going for was to show you the teeth. Right? Well, they like, do. They, yeah, you see them, right? I think they were trying to show you the teeth, but then I think that also speaks to the difference between this being a universal movie and an AIP picture. You know, think about the creatures in AIP pictures. Like, I mean, you know, they're always a little, like, I mean, you know, it conquered the world and things like that. They're always a little out there, you know, in the way they're designed. Because they wanted to be different. And those teeth are definitely different. Because the makeup, although he has that kind of like white fur, he kind of looks like like more more like a timber wolf, like with his coloring. And again, I know it's black and white, folks, but the, the thing is you can tell there's darker hair and lighter hair. And his hands are dark. And his, most of his face is dark. And there's some white spots up around the top where they probably went in and uh, they, they were teasing out the hair. And they probably said, oh, my God, it looks like he's got a giant, like, you know, let's let's give it a little highlight. Right. So they probably hit it with some some um, um, hairspray to hold it in place. And they probably hit it with some of the white to just kind of, like, pop it up. Because it's not straight white hair. It's weird. Like, there's some white. But, like, the, the highlight on the top there, I think they were trying to highlight the hair so it didn't look like it had this giant bulbousy head you know kind of thing which yeah. could have could have looked like that so um so then he, he chases her around and attacks her behind the curtain we don't see her get torn limb from limb um and then he comes running out as the werewolf because now she's screaming and people are come running out because this girl's screaming right you know even if she wasn't in playboy they would all come running um so they they all so everyone just comes running in he goes out past everybody and no one grabs him which i think is a great idea because he's coming at them and they see what the heck that's not not as look they know it's tony right because of his coat coat but they aren't going to grab him like what's wrong with him like like he clearly is agitated right and he's now they get closer they go oh he he needs a shave right right kind of thing but he runs outside and i love that scene when he runs outside because he comes up and people they, they must not have known he was coming out the door because right. they jumped back. Right. Which, what a great which, reaction which, shot. Right, which is which is exactly what would happen in real life. Yeah. I mean anytime, you know, you you're saying you're doing something and then something weird goes right in front of you. You you, you, know, you jump of, back. You jump right, back. Yeah. But the, but he jumps back and he like turns and he does that great turn where he turns towards the camera and runs away from I, the camera. You know, I wonder if if the whatever whatever those the, extras, the makeup yeah. Yeah, well, the extras, they weren't, they had not seen Probably what not. he looked like. Probably not, Dad. The, the movie was shot in seven days. Yeah. Like, so in seven well, days, no but, it, no, but I'm saying, but uh, in seven days, the extras outside, 
They probably like, okay, let's go to the, like, who wants oh, to make a couple bucks? Right, and they that, just grab some high school yeah, kids yeah, right. and said, all right, because they're filming at a real high school. Yeah. So that those kids might have been actual high school kids and it could have been Michael Landon, right? Ah, whoa, whoa, what's going on? Right. <laughs> and luckily no one took a swing, you know, but it like it was a bunch of girls jump back. Jump and, back and, right. and, he, and that's an actual high school they're at. And he runs down and you can tell this has to, this is clearly not New York. Right, this is clearly somewhere out west because there's outdoor lockers, which already makes this movie, you know, very different than being shot in the northeast. And it's great. He runs away towards the woods, and then when he says, "Did you just get a look at him?" Yeah. Well, it's Tony's coat. No, recognize Tony's coat. And it's so funny because he's wearing a letterman's jacket, but he doesn't play any sports, and he doesn't have a letter. Did you notice that? Like, it's a letterman's jacket. No, no, I understand. Back yeah. in the day, those were more popular to wear, but like. When you get to like the, well, nowadays no one wears any jackets because this is the worst. You couldn't want to ever wear a Letterman jacket. But back when you did wear those things, like in the 80s and 90s, your Letterman's jacket was a big deal. Like right. you didn't get your Letterman's jacket until you kind of, I mean, you could buy it whenever, but you had to get their letter put on. Yeah. When I was when I was in, in high school at, at Spelman, uh, when, when you made the varsity, you when you made the JV, they gave you an S, but it was only about small. five. It was yeah. small. Once you made the varsity, then you had this big white S yeah. with the red on the outside. Yeah. But it wasn't on a jacket. They you it was a sweater because okay. because right. they, cause you could wear the sweater on Fridays before the game. Yeah. In, in class. So the Letterman jacket didn't have it attached to it either. You had to have it sewn on, right? Right, kind of thing. Um, and then you would add your pins to it, yeah. um, you know, kind of thing. Uh, and that and, and Letterman jackets took on two different looks, and of course, um, you know now we're getting a little more like local. But Letterman jackets often had the the like rounded collar, and then um, later on we did for football we had the second Letterman jacket that we eventually bought, which I don't understand how that ever fit me because literally yeah. Kelly put it on. She goes, "Did that? Did you did you shrink? Like my <laughs> arms are too long for the jacket, right?" That had the down collar. That had the collar you yeah. pull down. And with that, we tried to go for a different look because no other school around, everyone had the same Letterman jacket. Everyone, like, like for track, I had the one. It was got the leather sleeves and we had navy blue bodies and I had the K on there. And we wanted to make something different. So we picked our jackets for football. We said, what about these? And it was considered the retro look. And I don't know how retro, it must have been retro to the early 70s, late 60s. Because I don't remember ever seeing jackets like that in movies, the Letterman jackets, when, when you said the football players wearing the Letterman jackets, it's the leather sleeves, right. not always white, sometimes gray or whatever, with the with the wool body. And that's what Tony's wearing. Like, he's, but he doesn't have the leather sleeves. It has the wool sleeves. So he's wearing a Letterman's jacket, which is always the crazy part about Teenage Werewolf, um, is you're like, well, he's kind of wearing like a football jacket right. if you're a certain age. If you're older, you were like, well, it's just a jacket. Right, and if you're younger, like like nowadays, well, I mean, not the kids now are actually watching this. They don't, they don't even wear those anymore. No, like it's when the football team started doing it again, it was like a big deal that they were going to yeah. do it again. And they were like, "Why are you guys ordering those? They're so expensive. So this, they're, and they're not designer. They're not this." They go, "Yeah, but it, it, they put them on and they walk around school them on, and they're like, it makes you part of the team." And I'm like. I understand. Like, you don't have to sell me on a Letterman's jacket. Like mine don't even come close to fitting anymore because I am like way bigger than I was in high school. But like, and my arms are now longer for some reason. I don't know how that happened. Right? You would think after all the what do you call it, stuff I've been through, my well, I wouldn't be longer. Well, you know, your your track, the jacket you wore for track, it's like that, in plastic. I mean, I would, but it has to weigh fifty pounds. Right? But, but, it's got but, all the pins all on. All the it. pins on it. I wonder if Haley can fit into it. 
Yeah, but no, but she wouldn't want to oh, wear no, it. She wouldn't want to wear no. it. No, but well, well, no, I have my 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 football ones at home. Yeah, and eventually Haley's going to wear that to like as like because Kelly put it on. Kelly's like, oh my god, like it's even like Kelly's like, well, it doesn't fit anymore because Kelly's not the same size. She goes, but how did this ever fit you? Yeah, and I'm like, I don't know what. So, I, and I remember you as being this big. Guy. I was 220 pounds at the time. <laughs> so, um, anyway, at some point, my daughter will wear it. So, uh, where are we here? The next day after, uh, well, no, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Tony flees the high school and despite. Um, the changes in his facial appearance, uh, witnesses identify him by his clothing, causing Baker, which is uh, uh, Lieutenant Baker, uh, or Police Chief Baker, excuse me, uh, to issue an all-points bulletin for his arrest. Okay, so now they're going to go looking for Tony, right? So he's now in the woods. So again, this movie doesn't have a whole lot of sets. This movie's got the woods, it's got the old haunted house, it's got the high school we're going to borrow for a little bit, and it's got like Tony's house, which I think Tony's house is the kitchen off of a vet's house, I think they never show both of them. So it's probably one house, right. and they're just in different rooms because they never show Tony's house anywhere but the kitchen, right. and they never show a vet's house anywhere but the living room. <laughs> so there you go, and they never show the outside of Tony's house. You notice that? Yeah. Because people walk in and out the door, but they don't ever show the outside. They show the outside of her house because he pulls up in the car. So it's all one house. So why build stuff when it exists? Um, local reporter Doyle uh, interviews Tony's father. As well as Arlene, not what I call her. I called her a vet. That's her actual name. Arlene, uh, Arlene and her parents, in hopes of locating Tony and getting a scoop. Uh, meanwhile, Baker and Donovan attempt to trap Tony in the woods where they think he may be hiding. Okay, so they go into the woods to start looking for him. Did you notice? Like they had some, they had some uh, flashlights with them, but those flashlights had the illuminating power of a candle. Candle. Right. So what do they do? They light up these giant torches. Now, I'm not saying that those woods were dry. <laughs> But they look dry. Yeah. And they're real torches with real fire. Yeah. Think of uh, the, the Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. But <laughs> those kind of torches, right? No, for real. But I'm saying is when they lit them up, I'm thinking like, that. those woods look kind of dry. Like they could have literally killed themselves. They could have like, and not, I don't mean like they set fire on purpose, but like just something Somebody's, falling off. Right, somebody stumbled. Yeah. Or, I mean, it's bad enough people are smoking and they throw a cigarette. <laughs> that could set off an entire forest fire. You're carrying a forest fire in your hands. Yeah. <laughs> so um, they go searching for Tony in the woods. Um, and they still, um, still in the form of a werewolf. Tony watches as the, as the, uh, the dragnet looks for him. Um, and this is where we get the other famous scene from this movie where he's surprised by a dog. Now, there is a model kit of right. uh, that, that Dave Fisher put out, and it's the dog fighting um, the, you know, Tony as the wolf. I didn't build the dog because the dog's jumping in a very weird way. It, it looks like the movie, but it looks yeah. weird right on the kit. Um, but this is another famous scene because he actually winds up killing the dog. And it's a real dog. And I don't know if that's Michael Landon or a stunt double who's wrestling around with him, but and the dog's playing. But then, like you know, in the like nowadays, people would be up in arms. Oh my God, you killed the dog! Even though the dog was not hurt or anything happened, nothing. The dog wasn't really killed, but no. he winds up killing the dog in the movie. But people would be up in arms because yeah. you can you can you can kill half the universe. You kill a dog, yeah. like you're the worst human being in the or world. Or a little little kid. Yeah, even little kids you're allowed to kill, Dad. Because yeah. remember, I mean, Gage got plowed down by that truck, and no one, no one was like, "Oh no, yeah. we can't have Gage." But if he had, yeah. to, but they were mad when the cat came back. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, oh, if you haven't seen Pet Cemetery, sorry to ruin it. It's only like 30 years old, yeah. or the remake of Pet Cemetery, which is not worth your time. But see, so the, what happens here again when when the dog attacks? Uh, you know, then they they well before the dog attacks, you hear the dog barking like yes, crazy, yeah. and then. And the, the, the posse led yeah. by the chief, all of a sudden you hear the, 
Yeah. And that, was, and that means the dog's dead. Yeah. And sure enough, they when they get there, they find the dog um, laying. Yeah, he's dead. Right. The, I know. I mean, I didn't say they killed it on screen, but I'm just saying in general, people are like have up in arms about <clears> that. Um, so in the morning, Tony awakens and sees that he has reverted to his normal appearance and walks into town. Now, every single person is looking for him. Right. This is a small town. He's the only one who seems to have this jacket. Right. Walking to town wearing it. And no one, no one bats an eye. The people look at him like, huh, what's going on with this television over here? Like, what? Like, what? You know? Yeah, but, and, and again, this transformation, you know, will continue. It's not, now Now he doesn't need another shot. He just... Right, now, no, now, now it's, it's in there. Now, yeah, yeah. But again, the... I guess we, you're about to get to, to, the, uh, yeah, so, to the newspaper, guys. Okay, so after phoning Arlene, who answers but hears no one on the line, Tony heads to uh, Brandon's office and begs him for help. Uh, okay, no, so they, they, the reporters... Oh, oh, no, no, the reporter already there. He already interviewed everybody. Yeah. Yeah, he's already done with that stuff. The other reporters are demanding they release the story. Right. Right? And they're trying to keep it hush-hush because, I mean, it's not often that your local teen turns to werewolf slaughters, you know, village, you know, kind of thing. That's not a... You know, whatever. But they, you know, why? Because they got to be the guy. You got to get the story. You got to get the scoop. We got to be that guy. Right. And like they, they, they come across as being so callous that uh, yeah, you want yeah. you want Tony to you kill them. Him. Yeah, yeah. Look, you know, stop killing the dog. Take these guys out. Um, he goes. So he's at. Um, he goes to uh, begs him for help. Brandon wants to witness Tony's transformation and captured on film in order to advance himself in the scientific community. Let's stop there for a second. Um, you know he's a werewolf. And now you're like, huh, he just killed however many people he's killed. Let's get it on film. And and I'm all for under the understanding you got to, if, if you know, if it, if it's, if it, you don't have a picture, it didn't happen. I get that. But like, you're going to film this? Like, didn't, let's, let's not restrain him like for real reels. Like just lay on, sit on the couch. We're going to do whatever. Like maybe you want, and they put the, they put the one strap around him, just one strap. Like. I don't know what you think you're doing. I don't want him to fall off the table. Right. No, but he's on, he's on the couch. But like, <laughs> like restrain him. Yeah. Like arms, legs, shackles, whatever you got to do. You got a werewolf coming out. You, that one strap. See, they learned nothing, nothing from Abigail Stalmy Frankenstein. Because both the Frankenstein monster and the wolf man get out of, and they got arm things on along with the strap across them. Right? And then they throw Sandra out the window and everyone's happy. Anyway, so where are we here? So, um... He tells Tony he will help him, and after telling him to lie on the couch, he injects it with the serum's arm. Immediately following the transformation, um, a nearby ringing telephone triggers Tony's instinct, and he leaps up and kills both Dr. Brandon and his assistant Wagner, um, breaking open the film canister in the process, ruining the film. Um, it's kind of like at the end of, uh, what was that? Um, oh, man, I just forgot which one it was. Uh, what's the one where with the, the seal can't, where the guy transforms? Oh, oh man! Um, yeah, we did that. Yeah, Monster on the Campus. Monster on the Campus. Where he's gonna film it, right? And he has all the film of it. And what happens? The fire starts and yeah. destroys all yeah. the film, right? Um, so, uh, alerted that Tony has been seen nearby, Donovan and, and uh, Stanley break in and are forced to shoot several times as Tony advances upon them, drooling uncontrollably. Um, upon dying, Tony's normal form returns, leaving Donovan to speculate that on Brandon's involvement and that. One of the mistakes of man's interfering in God's realm, right? Uh, so the idea, though, is, again, the movie doesn't have many locations. It's got this office that they're clearly, it's a real office, and they broke a lot of stuff in, so they probably had to, like, replace it. Um, it's 
they break in, and now it's like, well, it's a werewolf, and they just plug him. I mean, they just they fire and they shoot. They, you know, why did why did he reload? You know, kind of thing. Just they unplug, and it doesn't take silver bullets to kill him. It doesn't take whatever. It doesn't take a full moon to turn him. This is lycanthropy in the idea of turning him into, um, you know, re- re- regressing him. So very much actually like Monster on the Campus, yeah. right? Where he devolves into the Neanderthal, Mongoloid, whatever you want to call that thing, right? Which, you know, I should say. Um, but like this, he turns him into a wolf and or a, a werewolf, right? It's, it's really, at this time, not the most... Because werewolves are always in movies with the moon. Like, lycanthropy is very much the wolf man and whatever. I mean, eventually we would get guys down the road, but, like, most werewolves, and even today, most werewolf movies is about the full moon. This isn't really about regression to a primitive state. So, I mean, this movie kind of, like, sets that bar up, you know? I mean, the same way, and again, you may think, like, wow, how can a movie that cost, you know, whatever it is, to, and was, you know... This movie made two made two million dollars in nineteen fifty seven money. That was a lot of money. A lot of money, especially even if the movie cost a hundred ten thousand dollars to make, that's a, still a huge return on investment for a little tiny movie that they literally shot in seven days. I mean, um, if you think about it, uh, the the um, it, it, you filmed. It says here, began filming the February thirteenth, nineteen fifty seven, was shot in seven days. Okay, you shot this thing in somewhere in California, right, where AIP is located, in, in February, and that's why everything looks so bare, because it's the middle of the winter, right, kind of thing, and like, but it got it done. That movie kind of sets certain things in motion that became important, and one of the big things was the teenage monster craze, right, and you're thinking like, well, what other teenage monsters, well, besides, I was teenage Frankenstein, right, and then there's uh, Blood of Dracula, which is actually a teenage vampire movie, right, right? Um, you also would have um, the uh, the unofficial sequel to put to both the, to both this and Frankenstein's How to Make a monster, monster, which has nothing to do with any of these actual stories, but them as makeup, which is a really cool movie, and we're going to cover it in next year. Yeah, right. Whit Bissell is now the star of that one. No, he's not in it. That's not Whit Bissell. They couldn't get him back. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's the he's other. In, he's in. I was. A he's another fan. one. He's not a teenage. He's an teenage Frankenstein. He plays Frankenstein, so he does. He plays the doctor. Um, but what I'm saying is there was a bunch of these teenage movies that came out, and then later on. There would be things like they would be reused over and over and over again. Um, you know, the idea like of, you know, let's make this, I was a teenage caveman, I was a teenage this, and it was, because it played to that exploitation point. Well, think about think about the, the, the era. At the there was the uh, at the end of World War Two, there was this huge baby boom. Mm-hmm. And so now you're getting to the again, that was nineteen forties, forty five, but by the time nineteen sixty rolls around, what do you have? Everybody who was born in 46 is now a teenager. Right. Right? Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, um, you know, so you had this movie played for horror, right? How is this that different than the Shaggy Dog from Disney? <laughs> yeah. I'm not I'm not kidding. Okay. Right. But it's yeah. basically the same idea, right? Yeah. I mean, the, it, the Shaggy Dog does not murder anybody in that movie kind of thing, right? But... It's not that different an idea. No, it's a, you know, right. It's not the full moon that turns him. It's not the and he turns into the, the shaggy dog, right? And that's fifty nine. That comes two years after this is made. Well, think about what the the when Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. That was the last time that a Wolfman was actually on screen until you get to this movie because the the horror 
genre yeah. had well, pretty much waned well, out. Well, no. And then, I mean, then, then, Abbott me Frankenstein. In 1949. It's 49, yeah. And I'm trying to think, yeah, no, you probably no, are. Because probably. then after that, what do you have? You have, well, the, the, well, you the, have the original, the thing. You have... Uh, well, the, the werewolf, yeah. I'm trying to remember when the werewolf came out. The one where he's that in... Was, the, no, it was after this. It was 1958 or 1959. Yeah. Because okay. once this... Then you also had Monster on the Campus... Which was, you know, yeah, it's the same time, yeah, yeah, something like. Well, this. I think Monster on Campus fifty seven also. Right, but they again, but yeah, this right, the, a but werewolf, the, yeah, yeah, a werewolf as the as the main the main uh, uh, you know attraction here had waned com- almost completely, and that's why with Abenica Sullivan Frankenstein, they tied everything together. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, and, yeah, and then you wound up having uh, Abenica Sullivan meet the mummy and Abenica Sullivan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and those movies meant absolutely nothing. Now Abenica Sullivan meet the killer. That's Boris Karloff, uh, and he transforms into like maybe a Doctor Hyde. I mean, a Mr. Mr. Hyde. Hyde. Well, that's what they're supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. Well, but again, it's, but, it's, but they they meet. But that movie is not even called. It's called Abbott Costello. It, it actually is called Abbott Costello meet uh, Mr. Meet Doctor called Mr. Hyde. Right. And then it became Abbott Costello meet the killer, comma Boris Karloff, Boris Karloff. which yeah. was weird uh, because you're now putting the word killer in front of Boris Karloff's name in yeah. public, like. I don't know. It's different. Well, whatever. But, yeah, yeah. No, I'm just saying. So, but this thing, I, I, I wonder if this movie didn't didn't gross the two million dollars at that time, which is probably close to forty million dollars today, maybe even more. Yeah. Uh, I mean, did that? I so. Was this was this the catalyst to spawn? Uh, you know these these non or not not sequels, but the, you know the next wave of these to come through. Yeah, and a lot of them made a lot of money because it didn't it didn't cost you much to make it. Right. I mean that's that's a Roger Corman's uh, you know modus operandi. You shoot and get Spend out. Spend twenty five cents, make a dollar. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Well, that was the whole thing. So um, obviously, uh, teenage. We mentioned uh, I was a teenage. Um, Caveman AAP eventually put that uh, um, put that out. Then there was things like I was a teenage zombie, I was a, teen, a teenage mummy. Like these all came much later. I was a teenage serial killer. It became kind of like these. That's into the nineties. Like it still works. It's still now that I was a teenage, right? Like I married a monster from outer space, right? Right? Like or I was, uh, you know, whatever. What, what was the what was the old? Um, I was a male uh, war bride, right? right kind of no, thing. Well, that was nineteen fifty, right? But I'm saying, yeah. but I was a, I was I a, I was a. Those things worked so well because people. You know, even if it wasn't them, and again, if it's a comedy or it's a horror movie, like those are going to the either end of the genre. It wasn't like they were like it wasn't like winning the Academy Award was like I was, you know, uh, you know, uh, a guy who never got over my uh, my sled being burned and I can't do anything anymore. You know, whatever kind yeah. of thing, right? You know, it, I mean, it doesn't quite work. Citizen Kane sounds a little better on the t- on the placard card, right? So the idea that would still work, and then it still works when you go into like like so. Like the Dick Frank Dyke show, I was a teenage uh, head writer. Um, the Monkees, I was a teenage monster, right? Things like that. But the most famous one, the one that I remember the best of all of them, was I was a middle-aged werewolf. Episode Season 4, Episode 5 of Highway to Heaven, where oh. Michael Landon redons the... Really? He did. He put all the makeup back on and... Originally, so I'll read it right to you. Um, written and directed by Michael Landon. Landon, as an angel, Jonathan Smith, transforms himself into a werewolf, initially to scare off some teenage bullies. During the earlier scenes, uh, Jonathan's buddies watched the original film, remarking, you know, the guy in the movie reminds me a lot of you. Adding, when you're a regular guy, not when he gets all fuzzy all over his face. So Michael Landon, in 1987, excuse me, redonned all the makeup... 
and was I was a middle-aged werewolf in huh. that homage that that to me is the one I remember the most. Now when you look at it, like it doesn't look nearly. I mean, it's it's silly because it's Highway to Heaven and it's not supposed to be scary, right? right? But and 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 Michael Landon is a much bigger person that like like he physically got a lot bigger than he was at like however eighteen years old he is here, right? But it's just so funny to me. That's one of the ones that stays with me the most. Because it was one of those things that in the 80s when it happened, people were like, oh my God, there was a werewolf on Highway to Heaven. I'm like, werewolf on Highway to Heaven? Like, what are you talking about? Like, that doesn't make any sense. And they show you like, oh yeah, because Michael Landon, and he was an Austin werewolf. And people what? Because no one knew anything. Right. Because yeah. people didn't see it. Um, of course, for those of you... Um, and I know Dad doesn't always love this. Who are Misty fans? You know that they did riff this on Misty um, back. It's uh, it's season eight, episode nine, uh, Mystery and Science Three Three Thousand. Although the parody segment on that one was for Alien, not uh, they didn't make fun of this movie. They made fun of Alien in that part. But this is one of the ones they do cover. Um, they also did cover the Amazing Colossal Man, and uh, you know they and things like that. Which brings me to why you can't see this movie. Yeah. Well, no, I shouldn't say that. You can go see this movie on YouTube, right? Right as of as it's recording, you can go watch it on YouTube, right? And I make sure I downloaded a copy off of YouTube, so I have it just saved on the hard drive. So I always have a copy of it, even though I have a ripped DVD. We got however many, you know, like more than a decade and a half ago, oh. you know, kind of the gray market at like a, a horror convention, right? So the person responsible for this, and I and I and I don't mean to be so negative, but it's true, is uh, Susan Hart. Now Susan Hart is the widow of the AIP co-founder, James H. Nicholson. Um, now, she was, uh, you know, she's best known for her appearances in four of the AIP films. She was in The Ghost in the, in the Invisible Bikini, Pajama Party, and then she was in Dr. Goldfoot in the, in the Bikini Machine and City uh, Under the Sea. And then she was eventually in two other movies, um... And then she, uh, you know, they, they eventually moved. So the problem is the movies she owns are It Conquered the World and from 56 and the 66 remake, which is known as Zontar, The Thing from Venus. They are exactly the same movie. Different monster, though. Um, Invasion of the Saucermen, which is 57, which is very famous. The Saucermen, the alien, the, the, the Saucermen themselves, the giant heads and whatever, that's very famous by because of the, how many times is that on the cover of or somewhere in, Famous Monsters of Filmland, or a mask of it, you know, whatever, right? Um, they, the remake of that was called The Eye Creatures in 65. She owns that as well. She owns I Was a Teenage Frankenstein. She owns I Was a Teenage Werewolf. She owns The Amazing Colossal Man. Those, Let's talk about those three for a minute. Teenage Werewolf, Teenage Frankenstein, Amazing Colossal Man. In any collection, unless you have a bootleg of them, those are three. If you are a, a horror um, or a, like a B-movie enthusiast... If you don't have some copy of them from somewhere you got, those are three holes in your collection. Because right. War of the Colossal Beast, I can get a number of different ways. One, Haley loves War of the Colossal Beast. And she's like, well, what's the other one? I go, Amazing Colossal Man. She goes, can we watch that? I go, no. Because I don't know if I have a... I, I may have a copy of it, like, but it's definitely gray market, like bootlegged yeah. off of whatever. There is no DVD. There is no Blu-ray. There's nothing of these. Well, why didn't she just release them? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, she doesn't. She she made it very clear she's not. The last few movies she has, Terror from the Year Five Thousand. Some of you might yeah. say, Jay, I remember that one. That's on a set somewhere. Yes, they were doing an AIP, and they convinced her they could at least give her one of them, and that's the one she gave them. Out of all the ones to pick, that's not the one I would pick, but that's what she gave them. Um, she also has Apache Woman, 
The Oklahoma Woman, and Naked Paradise. Um, those last three, I'm not 100% sure. Um, whatever. I'm not, I've never seen those. Those are not horror. Obviously, they're Westerns, more likely. So the problem is, is that she owns these and she won't let them go. Who knows why? And in today's day and age, where some of us still collect physical media, and a lot of people say, why do you care? Physical media is dead. And I, and I still watch Blu-rays and DVDs and stuff. I mean, I watch stream stuff too. Um, these are three big holes. This year, or no, technically I think it was the end of last year, we finally got How to Make a Monster. That was finally put out. And that's one of the other holes in the collection that had to get filled in. And there it is. And eventually, if we can get I Was Teenage Frankenstein, I Was Teenage Werewolf, those are the two movies that go with How to Make a Monster to make their little trilogy. And then Amazing Colossal Man um, would be, of course, the piece to go with War of the Colossal Beast. Yeah. Yeah. We wound up getting copies of these uh, at uh, at shows that we would go to from a company called Cryptflix. And they were just, a lot of them were just... Taken off VHS. Copy, yeah. Copied off the VHS. And... When when you wanted me to watch, uh, I was a teenage werewolf. I I put on the Cryptflix uh, piece mm-hmm. that we had, and it was so grainy that I said, "There's got to be another way." And I didn't realize that it was never released. I went on on uh, Amazon, and it's not there. I went on eBay, and sure enough, there was there was a, uh, a what it's called a cleaned up version that somebody did from whatever source, and I've got it on a DVD here, and. This is it, it's now. It's still it's, all gray market. There's nothing. No, no, none of this no, stuff no. Is, it's not. It's not. It's not an original release. But it's at least it's clean. And I, 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 I it was twenty five bucks. I said, do I really want it? I said, well, look, that Jay wants to do the movie. I can't watch this thing because half of it is. You can't not, see. It's it's it's, it's so dark it. that you just don't see it. So I I bought it, and it plays. It's crystal clear, and I don't know how they did it, but I guess in today's technology they could clean it up. Again, did I did I go against any laws that says uh, you bought a bootleg copy of something? So be it. But I also have the the one for I was a teenage Frankenstein, and both of them play very well, like they were a released DVD. Yeah. Now the movies, like what this movie says, seventy six minutes. Yeah. I mean, it's not Frankenstein's about seventy five, seventy six. Yeah, I mean, minutes. these things are not uh, not super long. Uh, but again, if we're going to review them and I'm going to watch it, I don't want to watch something that I'm yeah. I'm getting ticked off at because I can't see it. Yeah. So, um, again, like like I said, this is just part of, um, uh, you know, just just part of what we're, if you you collect these kind of things, this is kind of stuff that would be, these are the holes. Like, that always bothers me when there's a hole in the collection. I don't mean, like, like, if it was available, if it was on DVD, like, let's say it was part of, like, some collection and you had to buy this collection, I'd have bought that collection to fill in the hole. And then, like, if it never came to Blu-ray, okay. There's some movies that'll never come to Blu-ray. Although nowadays, it seems like anything comes to Blu-ray. Um, but, like, the difference is, is that as you're watching this, and if you're trying to fill, like you said, well, I've never seen this. Yes, it's on YouTube. Um, if you have YouTube TV and you pay for that and you don't have to have commercials, it has some commercials in the middle of it. Um, but it's not, uh, you know, unbelievably, like, so the movie takes you 80 minutes instead of 76 minutes. It's not the yeah. other world. I mean... We've seen these on TV, like on TCM. No, no, I, they don't show them, Dad. They maybe no the, the riff track ones. No, they no they 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 are not allowed to produce this. There is no DVD produced no, no, of no, this. No. So I own them because I have every single Misty ever made. The ones that I have, the ones that are commercially released, and then I bought from a different company when they took them off of television and they burned them onto disc. I have every one of them. 
they will they will often reference and have stills from the movie, but they have they will not show. Oh, okay. I was teenage Frankenstein. I was teenage werewolf. An amazing class of male. War of the Colossal Beast is shown. They'll show War of the Colossal Beast every every Halloween. I almost said every Christmas. I, I think, but they'll show it. But they will not show these. They will reference them when they talk about Michael Landon. They will show stills from this movie. But they, I mean, if they ever did a Gary Conway uh, day. I don't know if they would. Um, they would show a still from the movie, but they've never done it. And the thing is, because they've never done it, where they've actually put them out in any way, shape, or form, it's not like, well, it was on TCM this one time, and you could tape it and whatever. No, it's never been there. Yeah, that, they won't They won't put it out. I, again, my, maybe my memory is, I'm, I, I remember this movie so much that maybe I say to myself, oh, I've seen that on TV. And it, like you said, it's probably not. Yeah. But the thing is, you this is a movie that you remember uh, seeing it, and you remember his his makeup, and you remember some of the scenes in there. Like I, in 1957, what was I? I was uh, eight years old, nine years old. I don't know if I had seen this movie in the in the movie theaters. But about two years later, when they would, this would be uh, as a uh, on a Saturday morning, there'd be four movies that mm -hmm. you could go see. This might have been one of them, yeah. and I'm, that's why I remember this movie. Uh, Again, I, that that we didn't have that it doesn't it's not out on DVD that you were able to find the, no, the reasons. Yeah. Uh, I'm just surprised. You know, think about this. At this point, the woman who owns these things, it's got to be um, something personal. Yeah. Because if you release these and you can make some money, well, but that I don't know. I mean, I don't I mean, know what gonna, it is. She's going to go to a grave with the uh, with, with I don't the know, cans Dad. of film. I don't know. Well, the thing is, Dad, too, is it, it could be. Something as simple as she owns the rights to them and she doesn't whatever. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I, I, I'm, and the thing is this. is I mean, our, any speculation we're going to do is not going to help yeah, the situation. I, well, no, yeah. So but, but the, whole, are, the whole thing is, but there are there are movies that are not available right. that we've talked about. There are movies. There are classic movies that are not available because they're tied up in legal battles of who owns. Right. So this person owns the right to the entire soundtrack. So you want to release the movie with no words and with no music. Okay. So if we rescore the movie, well, then it's not the movie anymore. Right. This is the this is the John dies at the end they did argument that. about the axe. The, didn't they do that with the Jack the Giant Killer? No. Okay. So so uh, so so a little sneak preview of of things to come. Uh, so in Jack the Giant Killer, uh, they uh, um, the producer went and got the same director, got Kieran Matthews, and got um, what's his name um, Torrin Thatcher. Torrin Thatcher, and he wanted to make the exact same movie. But they couldn't get Harryhausen, so they got a different effects company, and eventually uh, Danforth Dan is Forth. is. But he's this is his first movie. He's yeah. super young, um, and so what happened was they put this all together and released that in '62, um, which is many years after you know kind of several years. But there was the re-release. Because that's what they would do. They would re-release the Harryhausen movies. Because let's be honest, you show Seven Voids of Sinbad, or you show, uh, you know, Jason and the Argonauts, or you show whatever. You're playing. Kids are. You're gonna have people come see that movie because it's not available anywhere. So it wasn't on television or anywhere else. Um, the same thing happened with King Kong. King Kong was re-released over and over and over again. So when it was come time to release, uh, they got threatened to get sued. So when it came out, they, they said, "Well, we're gonna sue you." So they recut the movie oh. with the music with them with when added musical numbers. Which made the movie laughable, and then what happened was it was that was the only form you could find in the movie for years and years and years. You could only find Jack the Giant Killer with the singing, which was stupid. Um, and then when it came time, and I don't remember the year, it's I think it's nine, maybe ninety two. They wanted to put it out again, and at that point, Columbia said, "Yeah, you ain't going to steal any money from us at this point because it's all available. Put out whatever version you want." And that's when we got 
excuse me, Jack the Giant Killer re-released. Um, but again, like I said, coming traction and things to come in November. You'll hear me talk about it. Uh, cause I already, that's the, that's, oh. that's, 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 that's the Thanksgiving big turkey episode. <laughs> oh, that's right. Um, so, uh, you know, kind of thing. But the, the idea though is with, with that movie, that was a lawsuit. That had nothing to do with like who owned the rights to things. The issue becomes some classic movies, like some of the all time greatest movies that you talk about, like, oh, this movie, how's this movie not on Blu-ray? Because this company owns the distribution rights right. to home video. Well, that company is now, bankrupt or has been sold twice and half the rights were split. So now one company yeah. owns the rights to this and one company. And that's the other thing too. When movies were just, when movies were produced by the company and they, that company owned the rights, Universal, MGM, RKO, whatever, that's one thing. But now you have two and three production companies sometimes involved with making a movie and then they're very clear oh. in the contracts who owns what. Like, so when you have a little tiny movie that you never heard of, like some little picture and you're like, well, how did, how did this thing get made? And then you see like, oh, A24 stepped in and gave them all this money to produce. So it's this little company owns whatever, but A24 owns all distribution rights. Yeah. Uh, we just watched the movie. My mom and I just watched the movie the other day. The uh, uh, the, the the money came. It was seven yeah. different companies yeah. that, that I said every one of them gave gave 42 cents to make this yeah, movie. But that's part of what I'm saying. Is and so the thing is, and the, but the, the, the issue became later on is going to be the movie is really good. Now, if they release it on on Blu-ray or DVD, it'll be then. Then that means that everybody that releasing agrees. company has all been agreed. They've Re all been paid. No right. residuals. That's the problem because when you own the rights to the soundtrack, right, or you own the rights to the score, yeah. that might not be the same company. Well, right. if I if I have I shouldn't say soundtrack the audio track like the, like it got that crazy. You think like how can you have a movie where someone owns the audio but not the film? That stuff happened because of the way things... And I'm not talking about well, nowadays, but back in the day. Just watch the squirrel at the end. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's thousands of people involved. And like on sp even special effects, when you watch a movie, the, the main special effects could be, uh, you know... Um, the one K and B effects. K and B effects. But then as you go down yeah. the next layer, there's another special effects and another right. special effects. So okay, so so this is a, this is one of the things that came up um, when the movie Bright came out. Um, a number of people that I'm uh, I know and I'm friends with worked on that movie, and people said you didn't work on that movie. It was done by this company, and they go, no, I did these, and they're like, so you look at what they did, and you look at the special effects, the Will Smith movie with the where they're the cops yep. and the whatever. Right? Um, the like who did makeup effects? Well, makeup effects were done by this company, and this company hired X, Y, and Z to go do those makeup effects. And like, so they when they say I worked on this movie, yes, I did makeup effects on all the orcs. Or then like, well, that but you didn't do the 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 digital effects for the gun. Like, well, yeah, well, the gunfights are held by the right. so things are no longer done by one company. It's yeah. very rare now that it is, and most of that stuff. The, most studios are not big enough to handle it all in-house anymore. The, when, when they made Planet of the Apes and they were going to do all that stuff, when the Westmore, you know, they brought people in to do that stuff. Well, you had, a, you know, you know, well, it was Bud, Bud Westmore kind of thing. And he's had his, whoever's working, Michael Westmore and everyone else working underneath him. Right. But it was all done in-house, even though it was people brought in, it was done there. They didn't send it out to get done yeah. and come back. That's that's a very new thing. That Nowadays, they, they parts of movies are not even ever handled. I mean, the studio does whatever they're going to do, but they're handled somewhere else, you know? Yeah. I mean, we saw that when, when DreamWorks put out Captain Underpants, and I know it's not kind of the same idea. DreamWorks didn't make that movie. 
That's a Canadian company that made it. The Canadian company can make that movie for pennies on the dollar compared to what it would cost DreamWorks to make the movie. And it's got Kevin Hart in it doing the voice and whoever got it. So that movie cost them like less than half or like a third of what it would cost to do at DreamWorks itself. The movie turned out to be a pretty big hit. I mean, it wasn't Shrek. It's not, you know, Hilltop Transylvania. But it made a good amount of money. So DreamWorks looked at that. DreamWorks SKG said, well, we just made this movie. We, We funded this movie that they made that it was our idea. We want to do this. You make it for us. They're getting paid their money. They're making their money hand over fit because that movie would never got made otherwise. The company in Canada, they made their money. They now have legitimacy to their name. It helps get more jobs. They're working with them. But they're the ones raking in the money. You know, if it costs, I'm making the number up. Let's say it costs $20 million to make and it makes $200 million. There's a lot of money that goes around there. And that's what happens. So anyway, wh- why it's all tied up in legal, I can't tell you. Um, I can just tell you this is that it's not out. And the other thing I can tell you is that um, it's a shame because I think these movies, if you had them together, paired together as a double, like a double release from Kino Lobert or Shout Factory or something like that, I think there's enough audience who would like them. It's not like they're going to, again, it's not like when... Um, West Side Story comes out and like people are like oh my god I gotta get a copy of West Side Story yeah because West Side Story is a new movie and there's all the people like there's a there's a target audience for this and the target audience for this you know you know it's be people who enjoy B movies or enjoy older kind of films and stuff and I know that's not every kid and you know uh, anyone who's younger necessarily but um, as I said to my dad as as time goes on every year that goes by yeah. there's less and less people who saw this thing in a theater and there's less and less people like my brother and I who saw this when we were kids and there's as there's less and less of us that's how movies get lost John LeMay makes a career out of writing about lost movies yeah. like movies get lost for certain reasons this is how movies get lost when you don't preserve them they go away and you know you think like wow how could a movie ever get lost um, yeah. I don't know but I've never seen London After Midnight have you? Because it's lost. Because it was considered to be not that good a movie when it came out. So they never saved a copy of it. And right now, if I had a copy of London After Midnight, full, fully restored, restored ver- like a full canisters of the actual movie, I'd be a millionaire. Yeah. Right? What did they want? They wound up taking snippets so they that took, they had. So they have, they have the shooting script. Right. And they have all the stills. Stills, right. And they yeah, put it together it. and they made a 25 or 30 minute yeah, movie. We have, we've seen it. Yeah. yeah. And it's not bad. But the problem is, it's Mark of the Vampire. Like, it's nothing It's nothing special as a right. movie. The most famous thing in that is Lon Chaney's look. The look okay. of him yeah. in that movie. But that movie's lost. And people are like, oh, I've seen it. Like, like you said, you saw the, the stills. They put the words over it. Like, it's not the same thing. And did they show it on TCM? Of course they do. Every year they show it. They love showing that on Halloween. And because they're like, oh, we're going to show you the, you know, our, our restoration of whatever. And it's like, it's it's in a 20, it's in a 30 minute time slot or it's in a 40 minute time slot. And, and you know, with a lot of what would they, 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 it's voice acting. Voice, it, it's yeah. just people reading whatever. And it's fine, yeah. but it's certainly not. And they don't even have the full shooting script. They have what's left of it. Yeah. Again, there are. You, you can't be uh, get that 100% uh, uh, you know uh, library of, of films especially the ones that, yeah. that you like like this here but we do have the ability to watch them uh, from certain media uh, or on uh, as you said YouTube mm-hmm. again is it you know like it's worth like, it's it's well, well worth your time to go check this like, and Teenage Frankenstein out yeah, for sure I mean, so like you you are right now I mean you've been putting up uh, a lot of the I mean, you collect a lot of movies on digital I'm still a you know. No, no, I don't hard, collect my digital. That's the digital comes with the the actual yeah, movie. Yeah, but I mean, I like, but I still like to have the the disc. The disc. So do in, I. In front of me, 
Well, you know, what's going to happen at the... I mean, I've got... I'm going to have 3,400 well, Okay, movies. I understand that, but I'm saying that, but like, I still like the idea of putting a disc in. I still like putting yeah. the idea in and having the extras right there and having whatever. And people will say, well, like, the other thing is, too, you know, as I'm streaming a movie, I can stream the movie on the same TV I can watch it on, but I still like the idea of having the disc and yeah. having whatever. And it's the, the collectability end of it. And I understand that some people don't have that. Uh, whether you want to call it gene or sickness of collecting things. Some people don't yeah. want to collect anything. Some people want nothing in their lives. They want their lives to have nothing in it. So they can have their nothing life with their nothing anything, their nothing job and their nothing whatever. And that's fine. That's cool because some people like to have nothing. They want to be able to like, they, they want to be De Niro and Heat. If you can't get up and walk away waiting. within five minutes, you're right. waiting in your life, right? That's what they want to be. Yeah. But when, when but those are the same people that if when, when Michael Mann said, well, you know, I have kind of a script for Heat 2. I was like, Heat 2? My ears perked right up. You have a script? Are you shooting it? Like, people were like, Heat? I never even heard of it because they don't care. Yeah. That's what I'm saying, Dad. It's a whole, there's, there's plenty of people who just don't care. If you're listening to this podcast, chances are you actually do care about B-movies. You've probably seen this one. If you haven't watched it yet or you haven't seen it in a while, one, we just told you everything that happened. Two, go to YouTube, type in, I was a teenage, I was a teenage well, werewolf. You're gonna watch it on YouTube. It's a pretty clean copy. It's not perfect, but it's right. clean enough. Um, it's not definitely not dark and murky. And you know, enjoy your time watching it. The idea though is this movie is not gonna change your life. And I, you know, I was kind of, you know, kind of not really joking, but the idea that like the Shaggy Dog is basically the exact same story, right. except there's not as much anger. Like no, there's no shovel fight well, that, in this in the Shaggy Dog. The Shaggy Dog again. If you haven't seen the, the original Shaggy Dog, that movie's pretty dang funny. Yeah, but it's super dated because it's 1959, and people are like, "Where's their cell phone?" Like it's 1959, you moron. They still get milk and glass jars from the milkman. But that movie's got some funny parts in it. You know, it, it kind of degrades when you get to the Shaggy Da and down the line. Yeah. But whatever, you know, yeah. kind of thing. So anyway. Um, so folks, uh, you know, again, we, we hope you enjoyed last, the end of last month when we, when we did, what do you call it? Dad and I talked about, um, episode four of the dark room. Um, and we hope that you guys are going to be with us again for July. Now, you know, in July, we try to pick some of our favorite movies of all time. Now we've done seven voyages, Sinbad, and the, you know, we've done Jason and the Argonauts. We've picked these classics. So, uh, one of dad and my favorite movies of all time, and Luke is on this board too, is from 1987, so it's anniversary year. I figured, why not? You know, and you're thinking like, well, you already did RoboCop. What other movie could you possibly yeah. do? Well, see, here's the thing. When you go to the theater back in the day, they used to do a thing called a sneak preview. And a sneak preview meant yeah. you went and saw a movie. And you didn't know what the name was. And then you would stay. No, they, sometimes they would leak the name, yeah. right? They would leak the name of the movie. But you didn't know the movie yet because there was no internet. There was barely even magazines about it, right? Unless you're reading Fangoria or Starlog or Cinefantastique, right? So you would go see a sneak preview. So they would usually put a movie that had been out for a couple weeks. They put a sneak preview at the back end of it. Now you're thinking like, oh, we've talked about that before when we went and saw Big. And then they had a sneak preview of a movie that no one's heard of called Die Hard afterward, right? right? And then we went and saw like Red Heat, Red Heat. And then they sneak previewed Short Circuit 2. And you're saying, why those two together? I still don't know to this day, Right. And, you know, so we would go see a sneak preview. And, you know, we've talked about, we saw Harry and the Hendersons, and then they sneak previewed a movie called Inner Space afterwards, mm -hmm. which was two comedies back-to-back, -back, right? Well, it's really hard to get a really good 
two-movie sneak preview. And we've had some really good ones. The ones I described, actually all of them are really good. Um, you know, Red Heat and Short Circuit 2 might have been the weakest of that bunch, right? But the best one ever was we were going to see RoboCop as the sneak preview. The new Paul Verhoeven, they can't get a rating. It was rated X. They got to cut it back. It's too violent. And you heard Luke and I talk about that earlier this year. But there's a movie we saw before it, which, oh, I don't know, was number one in the box office for like forever. And it's Predator. Literally, Arnold Schwarzenegger mm -hmm. movie that when that came out, people were like, What? Because it was so not the Terminator, it was not Raw Deal, it wasn't Commando, it was still Schwarzenegger doing Schwarzenegger stuff, and let's face it, the action scenes in Predator, especially when they're the gunfights and stuff in that oh, movie, yeah. are on a par with Rambo, with you know Raw Deal, with any of the any movie you want to go. The with. Wild Bunch, right? But I'm saying, well, yeah. but, okay, but the Wild Bunch wasn't made in the '80s. Right, yeah. I'm saying any of the '80s action movies, yeah. Predator, right there, that part gives enough action where it's an action hero yeah. movie right there and then you get into the probably some of the best science fiction but the we'll talk more about it when we, when we get there but stan winston's design on the predator is one of the best decisions ever made the way it's filmed what they do the way they hide them and yet don't hide them all those things work so well that the pre the idea of like so in, in when when Alien came out, people were like, "Oh my God, it blew you away!" Alien, science fiction, scary, whatever. Aliens, right? You know, is the complete. You know, it's now we know what the alien looks like. We're going to show it to you. Well, this is where Predator came from, and this this original Predator still to this day holds up one hundred percent. Whether you like any of the sequels or any of the comic books or any of the whatevers that went along with Predator. You cannot deny that the Predator, the actual you know Predator that was that Pan was designed, is one of the most iconic things that come out of the '80s, along with the aliens from like the Alien Queen and things like. Super, super iconic up there on the same levels iconicry with Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, Pinhead, yep. Yep. you name it, the Predator itself. And we're gonna do that for July. That is our July movie. I literally, Dad and I probably could do that movie right now, cold, not having watched it, um, because I think I've seen that movie. Oh, I don't know. A hundred times. I can I can do the whole movie line for line, for line when I watch yeah. it. In fact, Kelly won't watch it with me anymore because Haley and I do <laughs> Haley and I both do the lines the entire way through. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, that's what I do with King Kong. Yeah, well, yeah, same idea. I mean, when yeah. we did that, when we did that live King thing, Kong, King right? Kong, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if, if I could voice over the the movie yeah, and, so. and not miss a line, but like you said, we the the the, the issue that we went to see because we would do that. Maybe two, two or three times, if because they would have something in well, June, yeah. something in July. But they didn't have it. The thing is, they didn't always have it, and the movies that they were playing weren't right. always correct. But yeah, and and yeah, and that was the whole point. You were in '87, you know, you seven. Were, I'm, I'm, I'm nine, nine Luke, seven. Luke seven, and these were both R-rated movies. Yeah. And, uh, but they were not R-rated because there was a whole lot well, of no. people getting naked and having well, sex. No, but in Robo they were in RoboCop. There is no, there's, no, there's no. a couple of yes. There's a no. Couple of, there's a well, couple. we just watched RoboCop. There's there's maybe you see maybe you see a breast or two, but oh, there's there's no sex no. in that movie. There's no, no sex. In that movie. There's a lot of drugs, right. and stuff. No, and, and there's a lot of people. And a guy does get shot down there when he's when they're going to rape and that and lady. The guy, and the guy melts. Uh, but but again, well, but yeah. But again, they they both were rated R. Yeah. And back then, you did not take. You know, um, well, they, you know, our, our friends didn't go, but we saw them. Yep, we, so, so we went to go. So, but we, 
Uh, well, well, we're going to talk more about that, and I'm sure yeah. we'll get into the idea of sneak previews because Dad has a story about a sneak preview um, that he saw in the 70s that you're going to be like, what? And we'll hold on to for now. Some of you have already heard this story. Um, but what we'll talk about all that this uh, coming up for the July episode for, uh, you know, it's going to be Predator. So if you haven't watched Predator before... Oh. What's wrong with you? Um, two, if you haven't seen Predator in a while, go watch it because you will love it. You will be like it. It's 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 a warm hug. It is literally a comfort food. It is you put it on. Predator is a movie I can watch anytime, any whatever. Catch five minutes in the last ten minutes. Like it doesn't matter when I catch Predator. The, once I hear the music, you start going, "Oh, oh my god!" And the that mu- and the music is outstanding. Uh, it's one of the it's one of the best scores yes, of yeah. a movie yeah. ever done, and. It, you know, I think it's what's really funny about that when when mom and I take uh, take long road trips, like going down to see uh, Luke, or we going to yeah. to Disney. One of the one of the there's a CDs that this is before we got right, uh, right, excellent, I one of the CDs is the score from Predator. It never stops. If you want to stay awake, I mean, it's not blaring hard rock, but the 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 tempo and the and the beat yeah. is just. It's, it's, it's intense. It's oh. in, yeah. So, all right, folks. So uh, that will be July's episode. So, um, do, hey, do you remember seeing I Was a Teenage Werewolf? Maybe do you remember the episode of Highway to Heaven? You know, kind of thing. Whatever. We'd love to hear from you. Write in. Let us know. Um, and we'll definitely read it here on the show. Uh, so that about wraps up it for I Was a Teenage Werewolf. Remember, look for I Was a Teenage Frankenstein coming this October. Uh, and that's going to be Luke with me doing that one. Because uh, Luke's favorite, Luke loves I Was Teenage Frankenstein. Um, he just loves uh, literally the, the. I know you have a civil tongue in your head. I showed it there myself, like you know, kind of thing. So, um, but yeah, that about does it for this, folks. Uh, like we say around here, uh, well, thanks for all the downloads and the listens. Keep those cards and letters coming, and keep watching the skies. This is Tokyo, once a city of six million people. What has happened here was caused by a force which, up until a few days ago, was entirely beyond the scope of man's imagination. Tokyo, a smoldering memorial to the unknown. An unknown which, at this very moment, still prevails and could, at any time, lash out with its terrible destruction anywhere else in the world. Hi, folks. Luke Giaconetti here. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Do you like giant monsters, or as they're called in Japan, Daikaiju? Monsters like Godzilla, Rodan, Gamera, King Ghidorah, or Mothra? Do you like more obscure monsters, such as Gappa or Yangari? Do you like giant heroes like Ultraman, or super robots like the Shogun Warriors? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I think you might like my podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. I'm a dedicated fan of all things Daikaiju, and I'd like to share that with all of you. Please check out Earth Destruction Directive at twotruefreaks.com. Earth Destruction Directive, where we turn your Daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. This has been an episode of Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. If you'd like to contact me, please email the show at botsbugsbabes at gmail.com. If you'd like to find me online, I'm on Facebook under my name, Jason Jacknetti. I often contribute to the Two True Freaks Facebook group. 
You can visit my Facebook page, The Art of Horror Collective, and you can search the hashtag, The Art of Horror Collective. On Instagram, find me under my name, Jason Jacknetti, and search the hashtag, The Art of Horror Collective, as well as the new hashtag, Bots, Bugs, Babes Podcast. I'm the only one using them. I'm also on Twitter, at Jason Jacknetti, and you can visit my webpage at www.theartofhorrorcollective.wordpress.com. All movies, characters, stories, music, etc. are properties of their respective holders. This is a fan work, and any use of any property is purely for review, discussion, entertainment. So don't sue me. I ain't got anything anyway. There is no tomorrow! There is no tomorrow! There is no tomorrow! Will you stop?